0: Hello, and welcome to episode two of The Vinyl Countdown. I'm your host, Jeremy Levine, and today, oh man, we are covering a, I say another classic album, there's only my second episode, but today's episode, you know, every so often an album comes along and it completely changes everything that you you think you know about a band. about a genre, even yourself, right? Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance comes to mind. That was one that was complete departure from prior albums, and in my opinion, the best album. But they completely shifted sound, tone. I mean, like it, it was crazy. At some point, I'm going to cover that album, the Go album by Motion City Soundtrack is another one, which again, I'll get into probably in a later episode. Today, I will be discussing one of my favorite albums of all time. The 2006 release, The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me by Brand New. Now, 2006 was when it was initially released. It was not released on vinyl until 2010. Uh, Full disclosure before I get into anything at all. I am fully aware that Jesse Lacey, lead singer of Brand New, is a fucking creep. And generally generally regarded as an asshole. Um I'm here to discuss the music, the vinyl release, what the album means to me, some fun facts, etc. 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 right? I'm not here to discuss anything that he may have done uh, that sucks, All right? I mean, it's one of those situations where it's sometimes hard to separate the artists from just things they may have done in the in the past or whatever. Uh, in his case, you know, I guess the, the point is that's not what this podcast is for, right? Uh, so with that being said, let's get into it, shall we? So there are 19 total variants available on vinyl for this release. That's a lot. And I'm going to go off, uh, and list these real quick and just kind of give a, a, a Overview of uh, pricing structure Because they're all pretty expensive Uh, So First pressing Academy Fight Song in 2010 There was a solid black uh, 200 of those were pressed From the web store Web store exclusive There was a solid purple Of which 500 were pressed Through the band's web store A blue and black swirl Also Academy Fight Song Web store exclusive Limited to 500 blue and white swirl from interpunk.com, that was 500, and an orange and white swirl that was 500, and an orange and black swirl that was limited to 1,000, and then 1,500 that were solid white that were at Academy Fight Store, Web Store Exclusive. Now, it had them listed as the, quote, second pressing for these, but these all came out in the same year, or it came out at the same time, so I don't know that it's it's the second, but I think it's, it's all the first pressing, just from different uh, companies, right? So, from Triple Crown Records, <clears throat> these are all 500. There was a Gold, which is a tour exclusive, um, the Red, a Black and White Marble, which is the variant I have, and then 3,000 in solid white. Now, again, they have this listed as the third pressing. It's the should be considered the second pressing, I would think. Uh, In 2013, Music on Vinyl released a Red Marble variant, 666, ooh, spooky. Um, Clear, 2500, and then an unknown number of black was probably just a standard retail pressing. 2014, Triple Crown released their, their second pressing, overall the third pressing of this record. 3000 limited to black, uh, a 400 on translucent blue, which is a tour exclusive, and the one that I really, really want, and at some point I will just bite the bullet and pay the 80 bucks, seafoam green limited to 500. That one is really nice. Uh, so on the low end, you can get a, a black standard retail copy around 20 bucks plus shipping this is via discogs right but if you want to get into like the more exclusive the more rare there's the gold tour exclusive from triple crown that is the cheapest was $325 the black and white marble like i have is going on the low end for 80 high end for 175 and the solid black, surprisingly, I guess because it was limited to 200 and it was the first pressing, the cheapest I could find was 200 And in between, I mean, there's a range of prices from, like I said, the, the very lowest being 20 the very highest being 325 It seems to be, like with the Thursday record from a previous episode, there's enough available that you shouldn't have to pay two to $300 for a particular variant unless... You, unless you really just want that color or that pressing, uh, if you just want the record itself, just because you never had it on vinyl and you want it, you can pick it up for twenty bucks. Like it, it, that, that would be my suggestion. But or if you're like me, you're like you know, you may already have one, and there was one in particular you really wanted. Then yeah, I mean, if you want it, go get it. Those are also available too, but you, you're gonna spend at least eighty to a hundred dollars, if not more. Uh. So now the, the record itself, it's on 180 gram uh, white and black marbles, the one that I have. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's really nice. It, it holds the distinction for me being like the first marbled colored vinyl I ever bought. The, the jacket is really heavy duty, uh, includes a lot of cool pictures and some anecdotes from the band. Like I, there's some written in about how there were, I think fifteen people that passed away in the the recording of this album, in the process of recording the album, they had a a, a lot of people, you know, in their family, I like guess, friends that passed away, and I, I'm sure influenced some of the songs on the record. Um, one of my favorite things that they included it, it's it's screen printed, but I mean, but it was handwritten first, and then I guess and in, scanned into a computer or whatever. There's a handwritten. Lyrics sheet. And it's a really nice touch because it shows some of the edits that in some cases kind of change the whole tone of the song. A good example of that the first song on the record "Sewing Season, for example, the... Lyrics that are on that made the album version it starts off with, uh, was losing all my friends, was losing them to drinking and to driving, was losing all my friends, but I got them back. Uh, kind of a, I little, I guess, a little hopeful, you know. Maybe he's going through some things, his friends are going through things, and you know, and they and they've kind of maybe figured it out and they've made up, right? That's kind of the impression I get from that. But in the original lyrics, he says, I was losing all my friends, losing some to drinking and some to driving. I was losing all my friends. I didn't want them back. Which, again, changes kind of the tone of the song where it's not like he's saying, okay, yeah, you know, this was going on, but now things are getting better. It's more just like, I don't know, like, these maybe these friends are doing things that he didn't want to be a part of, and now he's he's lost them, but he's like, I don't give a shit, like, I, maybe I want them gone. or. Just a, a way to deal with them going away, possibly dying. I, I don't know, you know. But it's it's just a it changes things in a way that it's kind of cool seeing that when you've heard it one way for so long, and then when I got this four years later, I was like, oh man, that's that's pretty cool, you know. Uh, but getting into it, you know this this record is it's a heavy record, and I don't mean in musical style, necessarily. It's, like, starting with, you know, the the, the title itself is a reference to a conversation that uh, Jesse Lacey and fellow musician Daniel Johnson had. He he, he suffers from bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Um, And The the Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me, I think, is, is, from what I've read, is he said that in reference to himself, you know, and it's it kind of gives you an idea of maybe it's gonna have some pretty pretty heavy themes throughout the record, and you know each song is lyrically is is just heartbreaking, just tugging at your heartstrings, defeating maybe. I mean, it's the the review for this album in Alternative Press when it first came out. It was probably the best description I've ever seen of this record, and it kind of makes perfect sense. So, quote, it says, this album is dark, difficult, depressing, and desolate. There's no happy here. It is the sound of four men hitting absolute rock bottom and desperately trying to rescue themselves through any means necessary, end quote. And goddamn, if that isn't just spot on for this entire record from start to finish. Um, and now, on to the music and all of its depressing glory. <laughs> First up, sewing Season. Uh, from what I read, Jesse has said before, it's a song about losing it all and figuring out how to get it all back. Uh, there are some other stories I've read that it was written about a great uncle of his that fought in World War II. World War II and you know I I don't know how I mean that's one of those things you you get it on the internet and you kind of hear but I don't I don't know that I've ever seen it quoted directly from him but it seems like it's one of those quotes it's one of those things that came up and it was like yeah you know at a show in some some show you know 15 years ago or 10 years ago whatever you know Jesse said this and I'm pretty sure it was about this you know but either way you know, I'm just going with the most basic explanation: losing it all and getting it all back. And it was the lead single from this record, and for for good reason. I mean, it's a wonderful fucking song. It, it, you know, it's, he, he's really um, real quiet, a kind of a hushed tone throughout the opening verse, and builds into the the first chorus where you know it's almost like lulls you to sleep, and then it just. The guitars kick in, everything just kicks in, and he just screams, just yeah, and it's it's so satisfying. It, it's it's one of those things where you can just you can just feel it, you know what I mean? It, it's it's pretty great. And there's the uh, the breakdown towards the end of the song. You know, I, <clears throat> I'm just gonna put this out there. I'm a song crier. It happens. That's something that I that I do. I can't help it. This song. Cannot recall how many times I've just had to choke him back while listening to it. Uh, yeah, lost. Uh, I lost count. <laughs> but so he says, you know, guitar, everything, everything drops out. It's just the guitar, no drums, no bass. It's just just guitar and him singing, kind of, kind of low. Right. And so he says, um, <clears throat> do you miss the blend of colors she left in your black and white field? And do you feel condemned just for being there? And then he starts to yell, I'm not your friend, I'm just a man who knows how to feel. I'm not your friend. I'm not your lover. I'm not your family. Yeah, and then it just fucking kicks back in and that part, just, just the, the emotion in his voice, the passion he's singing that with and screaming it with, again, like I say, you, you if if you don't feel something listening to that, you're possibly you you're dead inside i don't know but either way it's it's a wonderful start to the album uh, track 2 Millstone, <clears throat> it's a song that musically you know it probably could have been on their on their prior album that was released in 03 uh Deja Intendu? Intindu and i don't know i never i've never known how to pronounce it because i honestly i've never heard anyone ever talk about the album and s- actually say the word but Musically, sure, I, I, it could have fit right in. Lyrically, however, I don't think they, had, they hadn't progressed to that point yet. You know, they, they weren't to that level of songwriting, I think, to to write a song like, like this back then. Uh, it looks like, you know, from what I've read, again, kind of researching some of the songs and the meanings, it seems to be the most accepted explanation is pretty simply one of Jesse referring to himself as the millstone that's dragging him down he says in the chorus you know i'm, I'm my own stone around my neck uh, be my breath there's nothing i wouldn't give and uh he's dragging himself down and, but he's uh, he's he's changed as a person so maybe for hopefully, hopefully for the better i guess to um try to relieve you know the whole dragging himself down and, and just generally being a weight to himself The the lyrics, uh, I was the glue that kept my friends together, Now they don't talk and we don't go out. I used to know the name of every person I kissed, and now I've made this bed, but I can't fall asleep in it. Uh, I guess maybe contrary to what I just said, uh, suggests that maybe he has changed, at least in his mind, in a negative way. So, uh, you know, throughout the album too, in this song as well, uh, I guess uh, Millstone, that's something that's mentioned in the Bible at some point, there are some religious undertones present, <clears throat> but none more obvious than on the next song, titled Jesus, sometimes listed as Jesus Christ. On the actual record itself, I believe it just is listed as Jesus. This oh, is an all-timer, right? Like it's, it's one of their best. And it, it's just him having a pretty honest conversation about life and death, and Jesus or with Jesus, I should say. <clears throat> and you know, he, he, he speaks about his fears and, and you know, quite frankly, I guess some of my own fears as well. You know, he says in one part, you know, I I will die all alone and when I arrive I won't know anyone, you know, talking about heaven, I guess. And he says, you know, Well oh, Jesus Christ, I'm alone again. So what did you do those three days you were dead? Because this problem is going to last more than the weekend. Uh, Well, Jesus Christ, I'm not scared to die. I'm just a little bit scared of what comes after. Do I get the gold chariot? Do I float through the ceiling? Do I divide and pull apart? So not so unknown about me is that I'm not a religious person in the slightest bit. But these questions being asked have always kind of stuck with me because it came out around a time when I wasn't so sure about that. I guess I was kind of on the fence. I I was kind of going through my own little, I don't know, trying to find myself spiritually or or religiously or whatever it might be. And, you know, these questions are ones that I may have had myself or or these feelings of, you know, not wanting to be alone or whatever. And to ask them, I guess, in this way, it, it seems. It's it's just it's it's uh, it really it all it's always stuck with me because it's you know being scared to die, not necessarily being scared to die because when you know you die you're dead you know you're gone right but it's more afraid of being afraid of the unknown and not being able to know what's going to happen when you're gone whether it's your quote unquote spirit if you believe that or what the impact is going to be to your family your friends to, to the world around you like. It's all these things, you know, it's, and again, the idea of, like, asking Jesus, like, hey, man, you were dead for three days. What did you do for a whole weekend? It's, it's pretty badass, and it's just a really good, uh, kind of a good, I don't know, a good thought piece where it really makes you kind of think, like, you know, let's say for just for shits and giggles, like, you know, everything is real. All that is, you know, Jesus is a person comes down and says, hey, come with me, right? And you could just sit and talk with him and just you know, get all these questions that, that philosophers and people have spent their whole lives chasing the answers to, and you can just, just talk to them. Like, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a great song. So, um, again, one, one of my favorites, and that's exactly why, because it always gets me thinking, and and it just sounds badass, too. So, uh, De Gausser, De Gausser? I think it's De Gausser. Uh, I've, I've heard it pronounced uh, both ways, I guess. Uh, Track four, my second favorite from the record, A uh, the word degausser refers to a device that removes a magnetic charge from something, and in this song, the word is being used to describe a relationship. He does say at one point, I've lost my charge, I've been degaussed, or Um uh, It's hard to hear because at that moment, he's also screaming, I can't shake this little feeling. I'll never say anything right. I'm on my own. I'll never say anything right, and it's like that whole section is just—it's just its just like, its fucking crazy. The whole that whole lyrical, you know, the music, the lyrics, everything, and you know, in in the context of the song again, the you know, being the, the guy, you know, he's losing his charge. I guess the relationship losing its charge. It's not working out anymore, you know. So it's, this is one of those songs that at the time I will say that I'd gone through, uh, I guess, a, a pretty rough breakup, you know, it happens, whatever. I was young, uh, you know, it sucks, breakup. And this song pretty much summed all of that up perfectly. Some of those feelings and, and just, you know, it's one of those ones that it doesn't, like, I don't feel that way anymore about all of that, I guess, was so long ago, and, you know, obviously, you know, you, you move on or whatever, but the emotion of the song is still felt, and still just, just really just shakes me down in my core, right? Like, it, it's, it's an incredible song. And, uh, you know, shout out to my buddies in uh, Red Letter Reverb. They recently covered this album for a second time, Uh, Locally, they they did it from start to finish, and it was incredible. And uh, both times, both times that I saw them, you know, this song is when the tears started, but I will tell you this, it's not where they ended. They kept going into track five, which is my favorite song, hands down, on the entire album, while also being one of the most depressing fucking songs I have ever heard. So, uh, brace Yourself, I guess. Uh, so the song is about a girl named uh, Katie Flynn. She was uh, six years old at the time. Now, this is a direct quote straight from Jesse Lacey. And I, this is one of those ones, again, it was kind of like the other one. Where it's like, oh, okay, I heard Jesse say this at some show, and then somebody heard it, and somebody else was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then it spreads, and it's one of those things that it just sounds too insane to be true. But then, deep dive on the internet, I ended up finding a, uh, I found a few news articles uh, from the time when all this happened. And at one point, there was a press conference that, was, that the, the mom, the mother of the, the girl held, detailing the entire story. And basically confirming everything that had been said about it before, <clears throat> so open up the quote to you so there was a six year old girl who was returning from a wedding on a road on Long Island, which is about a mile away from my house this is This is Jesse speaking by the way. It was late that night, and there was two there were two limousines following each other, and the younger girl was in the front limousine. And her mother and family were in the rear limousine. Uh, some kid, you know, I he doesn't really go into it here, but I had read I think his his blood alcohol level was like three times the legal limit. And he had driven he says here he got in his car and got on the exit the exit ramp of a highway and was speeding down the wrong way of the highway, and what they what he doesn't say here is that, according to, I guess, I guess the police report and, and some of the articles I read about it, he traveled going the wrong way for, like, almost two miles. And, you know, it's... So... Back to the quote. He didn't even see this limousine coming at him. Didn't hit the brakes. He hit the limousine head-on. The little girl, Katie Flynn, was decapitated... The limo driver was killed instantly. The limousine that was stopped, that was behind stopped. The mother got out and ran to see whether she could find her daughter, and she found her daughter's head laying in the middle of the highway. So she picked it up, and she sat on the side of the curb with her daughter's head on her lap while the rescue workers cut her daughter's body out of the limo. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, the the first verse of this song. Now I will say this: when I first heard the song, it was it was already depressing. It was already like a, just a really just oh, man. It just seems like a really heavy song. When I found that out, though, it was I was like, okay, that's just that's fucking horrible. But the first verse, you know, it's from the mother's perspective. And it's it's about as heartbreaking as you can imagine. The second verse is actually from the drunk driver's point of view, and you know he says, uh, "Can I get myself out from underneath this this guilt that will crush me?" And in the choir, I saw our sad Messiah. He was bored and tired of my laments and said, "I died for you one time, but never again." Again, not a believer, but the idea of even the ultimate. Forgiver, turning his back on you, is very powerful and terrifying. Uh, and then at the at the end of the song, you know, it, it's it's going, it goes on for a couple minutes and kind of builds to this last section where, uh, in the background of this, of of everything, it switches to the mother's perspective one last time, and says. <clears throat> We'll never have to buy adjacent plots of earth. We'll never have to rot together under the dirt. I'll never have to lose my baby in the crowd. I should be laughing right now. And fuck me right. <laughs> that I, uh, that part just the the one time that I saw them live, and they played the song, and they never it didn't this part never came up. So for me, I was like, well, man, like what. What the hell, you know, I was was a little disappointed, you know, just because they didn't quite sing it, I guess, the same way as as they did on the record. But then the music starts to fade out, everybody, the lights go down, and then only Jesse stayed on stage with his guitar, nobody else, no instruments playing, no nothing. And he sang that part of the song, completely isolated by itself, just him and it was just haunting so mm, yeah so next up track six you won't know the song is actually still playing a little bit on the death of katie flynn uh and there's a line says so pray little k love is just god on a good day and uh, to me, it seems like he's saying that things are so hopeless that love is nothing more than God having a good day and being merciful, while God on a bad day results in death and misery, like that of Katie. Yeah, fuck. Um, that's a that's another good song. It's really high energy, and it, it through the screaming, through the kind of upbeat nature of the song, it, it kind of hides that that really dark edge, but once you read the lyrics and you, and you really get into it, it it's, it's rough. Uh, and track seven is a mostly instrumental break. It's uh, called Welcome to Bangkok. Uh, it, it's a really nice break from the, the first six songs that really try, your, like, they try their best to try to like, make you just want to ball up in a corner and just cry yourself to sleep. You know, no shame in it, but uh, that goes right into track eight. Not the sun. Honestly, it's pretty straightforward. Up, not not say upbeat. It's not really upbeat, but it's it's a it's a really driving, just loud song about a seemingly failed relationship where he's uh, he's pleading. You know, say you're my friend, or like like you say you're my friend, but why won't you be my family? Uh, but to no avail, and then. On the other side, she's saying, you know, I, I guess being away from him now, you know, outside I'm growing roots again, you set on me, but you are not the sun. Which is to say, I think, you know, the other person uh, is saying that the world doesn't revolve around you and that it's over and done with and I don't need you, right? So, pretty, you know, it's, it's a well written song. It's really, it's really fun. Uh, track nine, Luca is another, another great song, but it's, it's really hard. I, I couldn't find any credible information concerning what it's about, so uh, I will just share about the time that the song nearly made me shit myself. So, okay, the album had been out for maybe a week. I hadn't, I don't think I had listened to it, I, I listened to it maybe once from start to finish at this point, right? And I was getting off work, it was really late, probably like one or two in the morning, I'd worked like fourteen hours or something like that. It was some crazy shit, and I was uh, just listening, you know, like usual. Get I uh, get off the highway, come to a red light, come to a stop. There's a part in the song that gets really, really quiet, and it almost it sounds like the song's going off. And if you're not expecting it, which I wasn't, it it nearly completely drops out, and then it just flips and just roars back like loud as shit with just this, this crazy distortion on the guitars and just this squealing, like it, it's it's so fucking jarring, like I, I was at the light and I was kind of like drifting off, waiting for the light to turn green and when that happened, I, I, I jumped, looked around, like I, I just like, I thought the world was ending or some shit in that moment, like it was out of control. But, uh, so anyway. <clears throat> On the track ten, it's there is no title. It's just it's untitled. That's what it's listed as. It's an odd song. It's uh, a lot of weird sounds, distorted music, and only one line of dialogue. He says, "I can never lose it," over and over and over. Phil eventually plays out or uh, fades out. Excuse me. But if you play it in reverse, and honestly, they. they I feel like they should have put it on the record this way because I've listened to it in reverse and it just sounds way creepier, way cooler, and it kind of, uh, in a way, it's like, I don't know, it's it's a, it's a better lyric, I think. But it sounds like he's saying in reverse, it sounds like he's saying this never ends. So it's like what never ends? Like depression, the misery, the this you know, how hard it is to, to just to live and be happy, like you can, I feel you can go in, in much, you know, much more direction, like much, a lot of different directions with that as opposed to what they actually recorded, but you know, whatever the case, you can look that up on YouTube, it's, it's really cool. Then uh, track 11 is, it's, it's, it's a pretty good song. It's um it's called The, the Archer's Bows Have Broken. Now, I've read it's about his frustration with the hypocrisy, hypocrisy present in the Christian community. Now, not all, obviously, but apparently, you know, he has some direct connection with, with that, and he has you know, got some experience, I'm sure as we all do. but um, and he says,, you know, "Great line, uh, you're beating you're beating with the book. Everyone that book told you to love." And that's I mean, that's pretty clear what he, what he means by that. And then uh, finally, we're at the end with Handcuffs, the only song written by guitarist Van and honestly my least favorite song on the album. It's uh, I guess his take on societal morality and the darkness that people hide in order to be seen as good. I feel like it's, it's in theory, like that explanation, that sounds awesome. In execution, it's just not my favorite. I don't know. It just, and I, I never was a huge fan of that song. And um, as a matter of fact, I, I don't know if maybe it's just it's just Vinicardi's style of songwriting. But seemingly every song in their next album, because he he they for the first time they split writing duties on the next album Daisy that came out in two thousand nine, where Jesse wrote some songs, Vin wrote other songs but seemingly all the songs that Vin wrote are not my favorite, like that kind of makes that album uh, shitty, but, you know. Uh, I didn't, I guess I'm not gonna rate each song, because I mean, as a whole, the, the packaging, the record itself, uh, all the little fun things that came with the record, uh, most importantly, the songs, it's, it's, a, it's a five out of five, I mean, it's perfect. Even if you know Jesse Lacey is a piece of shit, um, despite all of that, th- this record is a is a a game changer. It's a classic, and if you can pick it up on vinyl, cool. If for some reason you don't own it, you know obviously you can download it, on iTunes, Spotify, whatever it might be, right? one hundred percent recommend it. If you're somebody who maybe did not listen to brand new beyond maybe your favorite weapon or even Deja Tendu or whatever, then this this record is probably gonna catch you off guard and you'd be like, holy shit, but I think in a good way. Uh, And with that, uh, that is my review of the vinyl and the music and everything associated with The Devil and God. I hope you enjoyed it. <clears throat> As of this recording, the podcast is now available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Anchor, and should be it should be on Apple soon. From what I've gathered, um, it seems like it. Sometimes it can take they say give it a week. Sometimes it can take two weeks, but um, that's the last. I guess major platform i'm waiting on so i'm um uh, you're pretty excited to to get the ball rolling on that and, and kind of keep doing this thing and see see where it goes so once again thank you for listening i am jeremy levine and this has been another episode of the vinyl countdown uh, until next time i'll talk to you all later